Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of little tiny hamburger keys on a keyboard. I'm your friend, Alex Kranz, and today we have a new episode of our Solo Acts miniseries, which features interviews from people who are working independently to create great things on the internet. Every Monday on The Vergecast, our friend Ashley Escada is curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. Hey, Ashley. I did not realize I was legally required to learn something. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you're legally required. So who are, what are we learning about today? Who are we talking to? I am very excited to talk to Tiny Makes Things. And uh, Tiny Makes Things is a maker and dreamer. she That's how she describes herself. Uh-huh. She's an artisan keycap creator, which means she makes really, really adorable keycaps uh, for your mechanical keyboard. I love it. Now, you are, you're, an enth- you're like a mechanical keyboard enthusiast. Oh, yeah. I have been in this space since like ooh, 20... 2009, actually. That was my first big mechanical keyboard. It had Alps keys based kind of on like an Apple keyboard from the 90s. I spent way too much money on it. I still have it. Are you able to discern, like a musician can hear a note? Are you able to discern an MX Cherry from a... a... I can hear a Topre. I can hear that because that's the key that like makes my heart sing. But I was very excited to hear you were talking to Tiny Makes Things because like the little novelty keycaps. Oh my God, I love them. They're so cute. Yeah, she's got some really adorable keycaps. One of my favorite things that she has ever made is an entire keyboard full of open-mouthed Kirby's. Yes, just bloop. which are uh, extremely adorable. And she is a content creator as well. So part of her early career was spent on Twitch, making keycaps and talking about her process and, and building a community there. She also does, I mean, she does hand-sculpted clay keycaps, and then she also works with resin. Uh, she makes accessories. I mean, it's really, it's really impressive stuff and also just outrageously adorable. Well, I know our listeners have had to hear me talk about mechanical keyboards a whole, whole lot. And I'm super jealous that you got to go and chat with Tiny Makes Things. So let's just like, let's get to this interview. I want to hear everything you guys learned. She's terribly fascinating. I love talking to her. Let's do it. Tiny, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. Thank you for for having me, Ashley. Really, really uh, happy to be here. I want to talk about Tiny Makes Things. Can you give listeners just a brief overview of your work? Yeah, I just love making keycaps that are silly, funny, cute, and just bring joy to you when you like see it on your keyboard. I basically just started out just making things that people doing commissions, like making keycaps that people would ask me to make of them. I kind of draw a lot of inspiration in general from pop culture, like things that are trending, like memes, anything that I just find funny or entertaining. 
mechanical keyboards back maybe, you know, six years ago or so, a lot of it was just the gamer aesthetic of mechanical keyboards, a lot of the darker, like black colors with RGB. When people thought about mechanical keyboards, they thought about, oh, it's like for gamers and it's a certain kind of look. And I just, I felt like that wasn't true. Um, And being part of the mechanical keyboard hobby, I knew that there was a lot more to it. And so doing keycaps and making kind of fun little keycaps was my way of sharing and trying to get people to understand that like, yeah, mechanical keyboards can be for everybody. How and when did you originally get into mechanical keyboards as a hobby? Yeah, it was maybe like seven years now. I was just in college and I had built my first PC to, you know, play video games on. And then the keyboard component actually just, I just went and bought like a $15 keyboard. It was not mechanical because back then I think the only, like the cheapest mechanical keyboard that you could get was something like 80 to a hundred dollars. And I was like, why would I spend so much more money on a keyboard? I don't really see the, the need for it. And I think it wasn't until a little bit later that year that I, it was because I had this crush on this boy and I knew that he was into keyboards and it was a very small hobby back then. I was like, oh, you know, maybe I just, I just use that as an excuse to like talk to him. And so I was like, hey, can you tell me about keyboards? I'm thinking about getting a mechanical keyboard. And I basically just, I kind of used it as an excuse, but I definitely got actually interested in it. And I learned a lot about it. For me, it was just learning about like, oh, you know, like it does really make a big difference, how it sounds, how it feels and the typing experience and it being something that you use so often, like every day in your life, it feels like it's kind of just a a good investment to make, to have something custom and that feels good whenever you use it. What do you think it is about mechanical keyboards that sort of capture people's imagination? Because there is so much creativity in the space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, your work and the work of others, I've just seen some stunning keyboards just by themselves, independent of custom keycap work, which is its own own separate community of makers. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is about mechanical keyboards that really just captures uh, all of our nerdy little hearts? I think it's so customizable that it appeals to people in different ways. Some people are really, really into just, for example, the the keycap collecting part of this hobby, which is some people don't even like mount these keycaps ever. They just keep it in a display box. And I actually got into that. That was kind of how I got into um, making the keycaps in the first place because I used to collect them. And it's just one of those things. It's like, a you know, like collecting Funko Pops or something where you're, you just really like something and you, you'll collect a lot of it and you kind of trade around different keycaps. And so that's like one, that's just a very small portion of the bigger hobby. But because people can be like, okay, well, I want a keyboard, but I really like these cool, like little art pieces that I can collect and put them on my keyboard if I want to. But there's people who also just really are into like, I really want want something that sounds a certain way or I, I, I want it to sound like nothing at all. I don't want it, I don't want any sounds when I'm typing because I just want it to be quiet or I want it to feel like stiffer or harder or maybe a very light touch. And I think like people can get into it however they want to. And the fact that you also don't really have to get into it if you don't want to. I think a lot of people see how crazy like the the hobby can get and they're like, oh, there's so much to to kind of like think about, to learn. And you could just go in and get something just like a one-time thing and that will last you many, many years. And you don't ever have to like go really deep into the hobby. You can just kind of pick out something that you like and just stop there. So I think like the flexibility and the kind of the customization of the hobby really allows people to be as much into it in whatever fashion they want to or not at all. 
I think your workspace and how it looks affects how you function in that workspace. And I think we saw a huge growth in the hobby, like the lockdown and pandemic happened in the start of that because everyone had to kind of buy their own like work from home uh, workspaces. And so the keyboard might actually probably be the most like customizable part of that. So I think people really like to just make something their own and it affects how they how you see your workspace and how you feel in that space. And I think that's the the impact that it has is big considering how like, it's not really a big thing, but it, it can have a big impact. Now you have mentioned that what a lot of people associate with a mechanical keyboard are sort of these like very loud clicky switches. So there's sort of like clicky switches and linear switches. The linear ones are sort of the higher end ones that a lot of enthusiasts like to use when they build. What setup are you using the most these days? Like, what is your favorite keyboard switch profile set? Like, what's your what's your setup for the enthusiasts listening? I have in front of me is, it's called the Mr. Suit. It's just the name of the keyboard. Uh, and the trend or maybe the past year or two's trend is this kind of marbly, like, thock. It's just terms that we use, but marbly, thocky sound. I'm not sure if you can, it's really hard for me to like record the sound because I feel like I've tried even with my phone or just to get it in a video, even with a nice mic setup. I just feel like it doesn't capture the like marbly sound quite well. And and hearing it in person is kind of like, it just, I don't know how to describe it. It just kind of like hits differently when you're, when you hear it. I can, I can type on it really quick, but um, this is a, the trend is kind of putting foam into the the keyboard and it mutes a lot of the kind of like yeah yeah it's like a thick more like dense kind of sound okay we're gonna take a break and then i'll talk with tiny about her creative process support of the vergecast comes from shopify Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. All right, I'm back with Tiny Makes Things. I would like to move on from mechanical keyboards in general to your work with custom keycaps and talk about your creative process. So what is the very first keycap that you made? The very first keycap, to my recollection, because it's been many years, was actually this uh, Link and Zelda. I, well, I actually made a pair um, of just like this kind of chibi, like cartoonified version of Link and Zelda. And I actually 
it was just kind of a thing that I wanted to try out doing. And I think somebody actually, I saw a post on like one of the subreddits that was asking about like, oh, you know, does anybody know if link keycaps exist? I want to get one for like me and my girlfriend or something like that. And that's why I made two of them. And I actually remember reaching out in DMs to this person after I made them and I sent a picture of it and I was like, hey, do you like want these? I literally like offering them for free because I made them and I was, back then I wasn't even making them as, you know, like a, as an artist. I don't think they ever responded. So I was just like, oh, you know, I guess that's, that's that. Like it's not good enough or whatever. I think it was just like a random, I, I just thought about it because I was like, I don't think there are back then there weren't a lot of people making custom and that's maybe where I got this idea like oh I can make certain characters and designs for people that are looking for looking for those design in the hobby because it doesn't really exist at that point it wasn't like a full-blown thing that it is now so yeah that's the one that I remember off I guess the top of my head that I made. So how did that initial pair of keycaps snowball into what you're doing now? Is it Was it a process of, like like you mentioned, was it a process of being on subreddits and joining mechanical keyboard communities and offering those commissions? Or was it more of, I'll just start making and then post them and see if people want to buy them? I would say maybe it is a combination of that. Um, after I started making them, I obviously was like, okay, well, you know, me reaching out randomly to people, the chances of people being like, oh, I would like a keycap, or I guess the eventual goal is to be paid for the keycaps if it was something that I wanted to do. But even in the beginning, I would just make them and then we'll see kind of where it goes from there. And I think I made keycaps that I personally thought were cool or the designs that I really liked. It wasn't one of my first, I would say, sales or ideas was, well, what I called sushi keys, which were just like sushi keys. It would be like a, you know, a salmon or tuna that's like mounted on top of like a white keycap. So it kind of looks like a little sushi. And so I made maybe a couple of those. And then the way I guess most people go about, you, just, you post on like one of the subreddits and you just kind of announce like your sale that it's happening at a certain time and this is how you can buy one. When I first started making keycaps, I was very inconsistent about it. I was working a full-time job and when you get home, you just want to like, just like potato and, and just play video games or watch TV. And then yeah. like, you don't want to do anything p- productive because you kind of, you just feel like tired. And then I just felt very kind of like my life was just not going anywhere because I was like, I'm working full-time now. And is this just what my life is going to be for the rest for the rest of it, I come home and I'm just like, I want to watch TV. I feel like everybody asks themselves that question at a certain point. They're just like, is this it? Yeah, I was I was like 20, whatever, 22 out of college. And I was 22? like, I have to. And you're already asking, is this it? <laughs> oh, no. I was like, yeah, I, I guess like for the next what 40 years, this is what like wor- life is going to be like. So I was I was having a hard time like getting myself to make the things even though I wanted to. And so what I did to kind of make myself be more consistent about it is I started streaming on Twitch, just the actual creative like keycap process. And a lot of times I wasn't even making keycaps like for anyone specific um, or even for a sale. I was into Overwatch back then. So I started making all of the characters from Overwatch. I think I still have a lot of those keys that I I just made the full cast of the Overwatch uh, characters. A lot of keycaps. Yeah, it was a lot of keycaps, but it was a lot of like, I I would do it while I'm streaming. So then I had, you know, company, you know, people would stop by. And so I, you know, chat with people. It helped me be really consistent because I would force myself to, you know, stream for a certain amount of hours. 
And I think that really helped me practice and helped me kind of get better at the actual key cap making. And then too, I think, even though I don't think my stream was, you know, super popular or anything, I think it did help me grow. And then I had to not had to, but when you have a Twitch, you're like, okay, I also should be on other social media. So I was also on Instagram and and Twitter. And it gave me other outlets to kind of share my work and to really, you know, post about what I was making. And so I think that helped grow my audience and also potential, I guess, clientele. And, And then from there, I think I started to get actual commissions and I would open up for, you know, like, hey, I can take a certain amount of commissions and then people would request certain things and then I would kind of do commissions and I could also stream that as well. So it kind of like built on itself over time. Um, But I did really kind of start out just making without the intention of like, I want to sell this. It was just like, I want to make these things because I think they're cool and I like them and I want to practice. And then eventually got to a point where I was like, okay, look, people are, people are interested. There's, there's a need for kind of custom keycaps in this space. That's how I, that's how I started out. I've heard this from multiple people, at least over a dozen that have attributed their success in a creative field to getting on Twitch and being held accountable by their viewers to, to be consistent as your community has grown, do you stream the same amount that you used to? Do you stream more because now this is your full-time job? Do you find that your community is really supportive or is it more has it more transitioned into a business and customers situation on Twitch where a lot of your viewers are sort of treated like a business relationship as opposed to that sort of parasocial Twitch relationship that we see that's like very common? In the first maybe two years of streaming, I was very streaming a lot. I was very gung ho about like, I need, you know, I want to hit partner. I want to, you know, hit certain numbers or whatever it was. I would just, I put a lot, I would say like 80% of my effort and maybe 20% was still like keycap making, but of my efforts into streaming. And it was a really big thing for me to, to have that platform and that community and just that space. And I think you're right in, in that it really helped having that consistency. And I think a lot of people, when I look back and even just thinking about it now, I think what I do is not particularly hard. I would say like the actual craft. And I, and I don't want to say that in a way where I'm like, oh, this is so easy. But, but like, I, I, just, I just, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I just did it for a long time and consistently. And consistency is key for a lot of people because I would say a lot of people also give up on, you know, on the way to doing something because you don't see results or you're not seeing whatever you're expecting. And it's hard to kind of be in those places when you don't feel like you have to hit some numbers or you feel like you're not growing as fast as other people or whatever it is. It's sometimes really tough to stay in, you know, that mindset and and to keep doing things. So in the beginning, I would say streaming was my very kind of, I put all my effort into. And then over time, I would say, especially since um, I kind of discovered short-term video content was for me and my style and maybe just my own personal like expression. I, I thought that short video content really suited the way that I like to share my art. Most of my TikToks of my art are very quick maybe like 15 to 20 seconds, like not time lapses, but short kind of parts of me making things and then you see the final product. Sometimes that takes like hours to do and you get to see 15 seconds of it completed really quickly. I just thought that was like easier for people to digest, obviously. And I got into TikTok right before the lockdown and everything happened before I think TikTok blew up. 
And when I got on the platform, I was like, this is, this is great. I don't have to, streaming is fun, but it's also, you know, you're, you're sitting through hours, like you have to prep for it. There's hours of it. And then afterwards you're really tired, but at least for these videos, I could post it and just like leave it there. I don't have to, there's nothing I have to do once I'm done with it. After I started doing more short, short form, like video content, I just took a backseat from streaming and I don't stream as often now. I would say like a couple times a month, maybe. I really still do enjoy the community and kind of just the people that I've basically hung out with for the last like couple years and the people who were there when I wasn't, you know, whatever influencer or content creator. I think um, I really value just those connections that I've made in, in the past. And it's like kind of just like seeing friends from time to time when I when I stream now. So it's not something that I use particularly to like grow anything, I guess, at this point. It's more of a, hey, I want to hang out with the community, kind of just want to relax and like do something. But, you know, it's just there to kind of like relax and catch up and not use it as a, this is my thing. This is what makes me money. This is like... You know, and I think it was like that in the beginning where I felt like, oh, I want to be, you know, a really big streamer and make lots of money or whatever it is. And for me, I just kind of felt like, yeah, I I don't know if I'll ever reach that point. And, and maybe I don't want to because I feel like when it gets big, it's hard to have like close community. And I really value that aspect of it. All right, we're going to take one more break and then I'll chat with Tiny about the challenges of making her keycaps and the accessories she's making for them. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, I'm back with Tiny. I am curious about the most complicated keycap that you've ever made and how long it took for you to make? So that question is sort of difficult to answer in a sense that sometimes I take like days, weeks, months or whatever to kind of prototype a keycap. And that's a lot of design. And then you like sand things down, you maybe cast it to see what it would look like. And then you kind of go back to the drawing board. If something doesn't go back, you can sand things off and remake it. So that's hard because it's technically, it is one keycap, but then once you finish like the master, the initial key, you can make like tons of it after. So sometimes just things take a lot of like reiteration just based on the design. I'm generally a more fast paced designer, kind of like less (laughs) intricate, but more like more designs. Like I've made a lot of different designs. I kind of just you know, hammer them out just to kind of get something on the table. I, I think it's just like the, my style of doing things. One of the design. I'm just going to name one that I don't know if it is the most difficult one, but it's a little panda. And I have it here, but... For anyone listening, it's <laughs> an extremely cute panda keycap. And I'm sure you can see it 
on your Instagram. <laughs> it is on my Instagram. Um, the, the thing that this makes this hard, though, and what maybe people don't really recognize from the get-go is that when you make a keycap like this, which has multiple mini black and white kind of like layers, the keycap is actually made upside down. And when, what I mean by that is the mold is, it's casted upside down before in, in this mold. Basically, it's poured into a mold, and so it's a liquid, and you have to fill up this liquid in order. It's like a jello mold. Yeah. So you have a clear jello mold, you pour in, if you're making different color layers, you have yes. to like pour in a layer, let it set, pour in a new layer, let it yes. set. Exactly. Um, that is a great way to explain it. And so you have to think about like his eyes and his ears. Those are all like black. And those are not like a whole layer. Those are like, you have to take like a needle, basically something very tiny. And I'm just tapping it into the resin and like dripping it as carefully as I can into these areas. So this is like maybe six shots, what we call. So I have to do the the eyes and the ears and the nose and that's, they're all black. The next layer is white, which is his like face. So that's another layer. And then you do his arms and then you have to do his like toe pads, which are white. And then you have to do his legs, which are black. And then the last layer is the white. So it's like, I think that's six. And any part that you get wrong in the middle, you just, the cap is, I just, I don't usually sell like the, what I call B stock or something that's like slightly, if, if there's bubbles or whatever, if you mess up and the lines aren't clean. So it's just frustrating because if you mess up in the middle, you're like, crap, I gotta go back and redo it again. And can't really like undo the layers. You can't go back. You just start over again. So this is more just like a complicated process one, not very like, I wouldn't say like the details are super intricate. It's just the process was tiring and and I didn't get a lot of like the yield wise it was very low, the successful pandas that came out of this. So when you are making keycaps, you also have uh, what I have deemed accessories for your keycaps, You have, <laughs> which I find extremely adorable, but also very clever. For example, you have these kind of little Kirby's with open mouths, and then you have for a shift key, for example, you've got a, a piece of corn, like an ear of corn that you can drop onto the top of that and remove, if so desired. <laughs> I would love to hear about how that came about. Your work was the first time I had ever seen accessories for custom keycaps or removable parts for custom keycaps. And I'd love to know sort of <laughs> how that experimentation kind of came about. Yeah, I think when I think about keycaps and the design of it, a lot of what I think about is how do I make this fun and kind of like a toy. And I think maybe not the only source of inspiration, but I was really into um, hats when I was playing TF2, Team Fortress 2. It's a shooter game, but there was this whole economy that had to do with like literal hats in the game. And I think all the time I'm just thinking about keycaps. I don't know, just like ideas come and go. So I was like, would it be, it wouldn't be cool if you had a keycap that had, you know, like hats or something that you could just swap around and give it like things that it could take off or put on. Uh, I didn't end up doing something specifically like hats for, for Kirby, but I think it was just the idea of like either modularity. I always think that's kind of a cool concept of like being able to swap things out with other things or like move things around. For keyboards, even there's actually keyboards that have like numpads that are modular, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, but I just think about in general, when I think, when I think about design, I'm always just trying to think of like what other things can we do with with keycaps and it's hard because it's such a small space 
you obviously have like restrictions about what you can really do in a certain space. Yeah, you have. A, yeah, there's a few of them. Got a few accessories for the the little Kirby. I think the first ones came as tongues, and I think maybe it even came out during a stream, which I I feel like I there was one time when I was just making different things for Kirby's face, but it wasn't like magnetic yet. I think I was just adding like teeth, which makes Kirby look very weird or like glasses and yeah, just kind of facial accessories. And I think maybe it came up to me or to think about like, oh, maybe if he did have a magnet in his mouth, it could be a magnetic accessory that you could pop in and out. And then it also wouldn't be as haphazard. Yeah. It's, it snaps on. Yeah. So right. It snaps right on. Exactly. There. And if it comes off, it's that's part of the design, right? Like it doesn't, you don't need to for it to be bonded in that position. And I think it might be dangerous if there was actually like a tongue coming out or something like skinny like that. So yeah, I think I I think I had that idea and I was like, oh, let me play around with it. I think I thought about magnetic keycaps long ago, but I just didn't really, one, it's hard to like mass produce at a scale. And I thought it would be fun to have it in between like different artists to have some sort of like base or standard magnet. So like if I make accessories and someone else makes accessories, but we use the like different polarity, then they won't work with each Mm -hmm. other. But my original idea was like, what if there was a standard and we had all these little accessories and not just it being like, you know, a tongue specifically, but like, you know, Kirby could eat anything. So if you had like another keycap that maybe did have hats, Kirby could eat hats. I don't know. You know, like it could be something that you could swap among your your keycaps and you could even, you know, standardize it if you did want to say like, oh, maybe food things. And then we all release like our own food things for our own keycaps, but then you can swap it among different makers and different, you know, kind of themes or or whatever. And then anybody could make little magnetic things because you could buy one of these and just make your own accessories and it would be really easy. And I think like sharing that and having that in a space was something that I was really excited about. Um, I actually have not ever actually released a magnetic Kirby like to sell. Like, I don't think I've ever sold them. I just make them and I just throw them on myself. But yeah, that was the original idea and kind of how I wanted this to go and wanted people to kind of experience this and have, yeah, just like cool things that you can throw on your keyboard uh, keycaps at any time. <laughs> That's so fun. And and I encourage everybody to go look at your Instagram page because there are some very delightful videos there of examples of all of this that we're talking about. It's It helps put a visual to the description, I'm sure. I think my very last question for you is I would love to hear your advice to anybody who sees your work or the work of another custom keycap creator or mechanical keyboard enthusiast and wants to get into this either as a hobby or a line of work to go into business for themselves. I I think you have a lot of experience here that is very valuable that you could share. And if you have any advice for those people who feel inspired, what would it be? For people who just want to get a keyboard and to learn more about it, we have these, not we, but the community as a whole has these meetups. They're just called keyboard meetups. And people just bring their own keyboards and we're just usually in one big space. And you just talk to people about keyboards for like hours. It is probably one of the best ways to really get a good deep dive into keyboards if you want to spend the least amount of time like studying or learning or researching about it it's really easy to go into one of these places and I want to say that they're beginner or like friendly to people who are into the hobby 
obviously, if you're there, it's likely that you are already in the hobby, but everyone is really psyched to talk about keyboards. Like you could probably go up to anybody and be like, hey, can you, you know, I'm new to this. Can you explain to me about keyboards? And I would say like a good amount of the people there would happily talk your ears off about keyboards for the entire time. It's a great place to just see a very wide variety of everything. And I'm going to make take this chance to plug in. If you are local to the Bay Area in Northern California, I actually opened up a keyboard shop in downtown San Jose. You can just search tiny keyboard shop and it is literally a tiny keyboard shop. But if you're new to the hobby and would just like to learn and you don't want to go to a meetup, you can go there and kind of experience keyboards and we'll happily explain to you everything you want to know about keyboards. And you can also walk away with a keyboard if you would like to, um, or and or any of the accessories that are related to keyboards. Thanks again to Tiny for sitting down and talking to me in this interview. Alex, I just want to know how many mechanical keyboards you've purchased in the time between the start of this interview and now. I don't think I'm allowed to respond to that legally. I have to consult with my lawyers. Are you going to go get one? I think I have to, right? Now I think I've got to. After talking to Tiny, I'm really excited about it. I want to learn more about the community. And from what I have seen, a lot of people are just super welcoming in places like the subreddits and other uh, other groups that you can find online, discords, things like that. People have just been really welcoming and they want to help you be an enthusiast. So it's really, it's a great community. It is a great community. I 100% recommend going to like a meetup because everybody brings their keyboards. And the thing that everybody wants you to do is like type on their keyboards. I think that sounds like a great idea. And I'm sure being in Los Angeles, I'm sure there are lots of meetups. I think you will have no problem finding a meetup. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Ashley. We've got one more episode of our Solo Acts miniseries. What are you going to be talking about? I am very excited to say that I will be talking to the solo app developer responsible for Overcast, which is my personal favorite podcasting app. It is the one I use. And he didn't pay me to say that. Uh, Marco Arment is going to talk to me about being a solo app developer and um, and his his journey into that arena and also the time he has spent in the space. And he's been there since pretty much the beginning of the app store. So it's been, it was a really it's a really good conversation. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to listen. Well, thank you again, Ashley. That's kind of it. This show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. Brooke Minters is our editorial director of audio. And The Vergecast is a Verge production and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. If you've got thoughts, feedback, feelings, you can always email The Vergecast at vergecast at theverge.com. Or you can call the hotline. It's 866-VERGE-11. Again, 866-VERGE-11. Call us with any of your questions. We love to hear them. And we're going to be back again on Wednesday with an all-new episode of The Vergecast. So see you then. Stay classy. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. 
Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 